Alrighty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tube Circuit. I'm Dylan Harari. Really exciting episode here. I had the honor of doing my first, hopefully of many, interviews. Today's conversation is with Sarah Hoshkiss, and a little about her, which we're going to be getting into quite deep for the interview. She has consulted on mixed reality for Facebook, Karuna Labs, MindGlow, and more. And she's currently the CEO of the startup Radix Motion, which is currently building out Mew, a social platform that allows for 3D human movements to be communicated in a way that we're really not seeing with other social media platforms. Sarah and I first connected from an article she wrote about the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Highly recommend watching the documentary, but if you don't know, it really examines the ethics behind social media and the practices of some of the giants in this space. Sarah's aim has long been around finding and building solutions that can remedy the very issues discussed in the documentary, which is why her company Radix Motion's new social platform Mew is so extremely relevant. We discuss this as well as her personal background, mixed reality versus augmented reality, and of course, what the future holds for social media. Sarah is so, so brilliant, and it was such a blast getting to have her on for the first podcast interview. Enjoy. I want to say in my little research I did about you beforehand, um, I saw that your background is in cognitive neuroscience research and martial arts, which I think the movement element there really does, uh, you know, cater nicely to social media in 2020. Um, how have you really been employing these expertise for uh, your approach to this field? Yeah, I wish uh, uh, there were more people in tech that were also uh, embodied. I think um, the use of our technology is really dictated by engineering. And um, there's unfortunately uh, a lot of engineering um, are, are very dissociated from their body, you know, very cerebral, very mathy, all these qualities that are super important. Um, but then when it comes to the actual user interface, uh, we're still stuck with things like typing on a on a keyboard that was literally designed to slow us down because it was meant for typewriters. Um, things that are very not ergonomic, not healthy for our bodies, sitting in chairs all day uh, just to create, to connect to each other. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to put a dent in, our connection to technology in a way that will actually help us connect to our body in deeper ways. Um, and the first thing uh, uh, we're building right now, I'm, I'm CEO of a small startup called Radix Motion, and we have a prototype messenger out there that lets you send 3D embodied messages and play 3D mini games with each other. So you can blow kisses with your hands and these hearts actually spread out in space. Your friend gets to run around and catch them. Uh, you can jump up and down and spurt little truffles. So it's very psychedelic, it's very fun. Um, and the idea is to create a pro-social communication platform that is actually around movement and engagement um, because 
there's more I, I do martial arts like you said I uh, violence is a language that I understand quite well but uh, I think because of that um, I think it's so important to have other alternatives especially in gaming and communication um, like it's it's fun running around shooting each other but if that's the only thing we're doing as a gaming and social platform what does that uh, bring to our society as a whole what does our bring That, what does that um, cause our social connections to be like? Yeah, completely. And, and, you know, what I think is so funny as well, um, and I guess for a little bit of context for any listener, is that I, I found a little bit more about Mew and Radix Motion because of a Medium piece you wrote uh, in response to The Social Dilemma. And it's funny, for anyone who has seen The Social Dilemma, It does really sound like what you've made an effort to build out with Mew, a social platform that is built more on those organic communications. I could not have acted as a better time to launch something like this because it sounds like this is now so salient and so relevant to the concerns of average consumers. So I'd be curious to know, did you see this as writing on the wall inevitably this bubbling over concern about the way and the ethics behind social media and whether it's data or whether it's maybe negative effects on our psyche. And you thought long ago, okay, here we go. This is why this will really be needed in 2020. So in, in many ways, yes, uh, I've been researching social media. My, my first degree is actually in physics. And one of my research projects was actually about couch surfing. I don't know if you remember that social platform um, where you could actually stay in people's uh, couches and travel. I was one of the um, first people on it. I really enjoyed it before it turned commercial. And it was such a beautiful community, such a beautiful community with mediators and self-governance. And then it went consumer. It, it really changed its structure into a corporate um, entity and it just uh, crashed and burned and started, you know, everything that, that was working just stopped uh, because alignments were not anymore um, uh, aligned between the company and the consumers or the users. Um, and that is the main thing when we look at social platforms and when we look generally at companies, are they aligned to the customer's well-being or not? And with uh, current social media, it's very clear that there is no alignment. Um, and the, the, I have some criticisms about um, how that documentary was done, but that was really the best point they made was that there is no alignment we are actually the ones being sold, right, to the advertisers. This is how the company is making money. Um, we are not the users. We are the ones being used. Um, and if there is no alignment, then really we are just eyeballs that they're trying to keep on the platform uh, with addictive methods uh, in ways that are literally uh, causing a lot of harm to people. Um, so that's been on the wall for a long time. And there's a lot of research into how social media has increased things like, you know, anorexia and dysmorphia and actually feelings of uh, disconnect, uh, despite uh, a lot of the interesting things that have happened from there. Like it's much easier to connect to uh, your in-group, right? So there's there's like the in-group is, is great, but then you get your the echo chamber, which causes a lot of other issues. So... Um, 
It's it's yeah. So I think that was definitely on the wall. What I didn't expect was COVID, which I think nobody did, right? right. Uh, and now I'm I'm finding myself really like we're pushing deadlines and trying to put this out as fast as we can because there's a whole generation of kids. Like I have a little brother who's stuck in Zoom school. Can you? That's it's terrible. It's, I can't imagine. It's terrible. No. It's and so I want to give them whatever I can to at least have a playful experience that involves some of their body. Um, you know, get off the Zoom, run around in space. Uh, clap your hands, jump, communicate with your friends in a way that they can then interact with in their own 3D space. So I see um, um, really a way to just just bring some playfulness into an, an activity, physical activity into um, this crazy situation that we're finding ourselves in right now. Yeah, um, completely. And, you know, I, I that was another thing I was very curious about is would you say that your focus, and especially that of Muse and Radex Motion, is really around how can we make social media translate to a kind of day-to-day -day communication? Where right now, I think there is such a stark disconnect of, you know, it could be micro and macro of how we interact with one another on social media versus in real life but maybe also how news is spread, how information is shared. Um, so would you say the goal both in Mew, but also just your aim around social media and furthering our abilities to communicate being around how can we make something that is more geared towards our, our, our primal needs to have these human interactions? Yeah, definitely. We're, we are now on a uh, audio only podcast. I'm seeing you on, on Skype, right? And we're both communicating with our hands and making expressions because this is 50%, more than 50% of human communication is body language, right? How can we use that to, to foster a deeper connection? These are things that we're not getting from social media uh, currently. Uh, we're, we are getting, you know, videos uh, especially with TikTok growing so much and Snapchat, uh, but we're not getting the 3D interactions of these physical connections. We can't high five. I just want to be able to, you know, instead of a, a, a like thing, actually do the movement, right? I want to actually give the hug um, for myself to experience that sense of empathy. And also when receiving these 3D embodied messages, especially in virtual reality, because we're building our messenger is cross-platform between the mo mobile AR and VR. And when you go into a VR headset and actually receive your friend's hug, um, especially if you are uh, someone like me who has danced and done a lot of movement their whole life, you can really feel a person's body language. Um, I can shadow box with my brother. He's like across the ocean quarantined somewhere. And I keep asking him, come on, send me some shadow boxing movements so I can train with you, even though, you know, you're so far away. Um, so that, that's, that's on the, the embodiment side. We really just want to create an embodied social platform that puts the body at the forefront of communication. Um, and then there's the side of being aligned to whoever is actually on the platform. Uh, because we understand, and this is also my, my background in cognitive neuroscience, was movement data. 
Um, and this whole platform is built on movement data. And if you think Facebook knows a lot about you now, right, and Google knows a lot about you now, wait until they know exactly what you're looking at and how you're moving, how excited you are today, right, how sleepy, all these things that we can tell from our movements. And um, I really want to showcase a company that is aligning users' well-being with a sustainable monetary model. Uh, I think I think you just need to be a little bit more creative um, and and make sure that there is this consent that happens between users and whatever is going on on the platform. Yeah, no, entirely. And you know, I, I'd wonder because I imagine a lot of people would listen to this and they'd go, Absolutely, what we need is more human connection through social media, because of course, that's really gonna remedy a lot of bullying, I think. That's going to remedy just a lot of loneliness is when you can really feel connected. Um, but maybe someone listening would go, well, man, I use Snapchat and I go on and I have the little filters. So in a way that is sort of elevating the experience. So I'm wondering, uh, in specifically with Snapchat as an example, how do you see what Mew is building out as a more elevated experience that allows for kind of an unprecedented degree of human interaction through social communication? Yeah, I think Snapchat is going in, in that direction, but there's still what they're sending is video. They're sending augmented video with filters but we are the first social communication platform that's sending the 3D data, which means it's interactable, which means it's in your space. You can walk around it. You can, um, again, catch the kisses in 3D space. Uh, all these things that you can really only do when you are dealing with 3D uh, movement data and 3D data. Um, and I think it's a bit of a like, I keep asking myself, how come, you know, how come we're the first ones that are doing this? Um, and I think it's, it really is because uh, it, it needs a type of shift to look at movement data as a medium, right? And, and I come from this academic background. There's people in academia that are dealing with 3D movement data as a research tool. Um, my co-founder comes more from a, a media and, and cinema uh, and full stack sort of engineering background. Um, Kudos to Matt. Um, so, and this collaboration between us really, you know, was a whole process. We were thinking what we want to build and how, and it sort of emerged that this is a new type of uh, media and medium that can really uh, uh, just increase and create so many different things that we want to be the ones doing it. Yeah. And, and on that, you know, I think for the consumer, there probably is going to be a difference in, you know, for right now, Facebook is doing Facebook Horizon, where it's going to be yeah. a completely immersive metaverse. But what yeah. is interesting there, and it's funny, it was not something I really thought about until I was looking into what you guys are doing. But is it going to be that enjoyable if you're standing, you're mildly moving, and you get to watch a version of yourself doing incredible things? Is, are you really vicariously experiencing that? And I guess, would you experience that more if to what you're saying Muse focus is more around actually doing these movements and that being translated to the other person? So, uh, so let's compare. Facebook Horizon is a real-time social VR platform. 
Um, there's a lot of other platforms out there that I uh, think are a lot more... I haven't yet tried Horizon, so I don't know. I've just seen their choice of avatars. And I've been on and off talking to people on Facebook about this. Like, why are yeah. your avatars so boring and <laughs> We want to go into VR to be creative. I want to have a tail. I want to have wings. I want to be able to be a cat. Stop making me a cute, childish version of myself that's unhealthy. Like, it's literally, if that is the only thing I can be, this asexual creature that's always sort of thin and, you know, like, it's really um, uh, unhealthy to not give people more options. And it's it's just like not making the best use case of this magical new technology that we have. So that's that's my beef around uh, many of the of the social platforms that exist. A shout out to one that I do like is VR Chat because they've opened their avatar system, and that's what we want to do with Miu. Um, eventually, this requires like um, it's definitely hard to open up a platform and let people introduce their creativity but that's the goal what do you want to be today let's help you um showcase how you're you're experiencing yourself your inner being today to your outer world and we have had so many crazy experiences me and Matt just experimenting with this you know c- communicating with each other with nobody just a bunch of flying butterflies that are um actually embodying our movements right how does that feel to receive an environment that your friend has created with their body movements and you're now in that environment um so a lot of these things are really taken um from um McKenna and psychedelic research that's also my background coming into this uh how can we be more than what we are um yeah and uh, because you brought it up I did have this in my notes but I'm so curious yeah, yeah. so I think your exact line I'm going to read it was our products are based on our CEO's published neuroscience research into embodiment and psychedelics which I think yeah. alone you know and then when you see Mew and you see what it looks like when you're moving and then there's an avatar that's corresponding with those movements it does feel very trippy and very, I guess, psychedelic. So um, how is that really guiding the vision for Mew? And in addition, I'd wonder what insights to psychedelics or neuroscience do you think really could push social media in that more positive direction? Yeah, so the, the main correspondence, what the psychedelics have to do with virtual reality and augmented reality, psychedelics, uh, the byproduct of taking psychedelics is increasing the surprise in your brain. Uh, now, maybe we have time to get into this. Maybe you could just <laughs> reference a bunch of my other paper, papers and articles, but basically the top-down predictions that your brain is constantly creating get broken down by taking these types of molecules and now instead of thinking in these wide buckets your brain starts thinking in narrower weirdly shaped buckets and can actually create a different type of reality so i with virtual reality and augmented reality i can't really change the the buckets in your brain but i can change the incoming information like you said i i connect the visuals that you're seeing with your body movement in ways that you don't really see in 
normal life. You don't, you're not a cat usually when you look down at yourself, right? So I can create massive amounts of surprise using this immersive technology that then induces plasticity in your brain, similar to psychedelics. Now, um, we're definitely trying to take the benefits of that, of allowing people to break out of, you know, depressive patterns and just find new joy, be a child again, be playful. There's so much research about how much play is absolutely the most beneficial thing for our mental health, right? Not work, not, you know, um, achieving goals, but play. And play, part of that is not being goal-oriented. Play is exploratory. Play is the way you're learning just randomly new connections. And that's what we're trying to bring into Miu for sure with our mini games that are still very open. You can combine these different games like jumping and clapping and running and see what happens. Does it make sense? Is it too crazy? We don't know, right? Um, this is We really are still at the exploratory phase, but uh, that's that's the fun of it. Um, we have a, a game where we're trying to create a charades game where you just draw with your body. So you have trails and you can try to draw a picture. You type in at the end, what was the picture you tried to draw? And you send it to your friend to see if you can actually communicate uh, some information with your body language. And, and how, did you manage to get in tune to your friend's uh, uh, dance drawing? So there's so <laughs> many options. Um of, of play and creativity to explore. And that's that's the, the really baseline of, of what we want Mew to be, a place for creativity, fun, and just constant, like, little, wow, wow, this is so crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, even as you're illustrating this, thankfully, I have the benefit of seeing you, but it's interesting because yeah. you are using your hands a lot to describe it, which I think speaks to the vision of the company, and that would be, instead of just using a face, like it being a Snapchat filter, yeah. right? Instead, maybe positioning your phone and doing more full body. Um, and you know, I wonder, because when I saw this, I was like, it does seem like such an obvious next step to what you were saying, just making that an even more heightened social experience. Um, so I, I'm curious, why do you think that so many other social media platforms in both their user interface and I guess the capabilities of augmented reality really are based around, okay, you maybe have a pop socket like I do. You put your fingers here and then you swipe with your thumb in not making it more immersive with your entire body. Yeah, so A, the technology really is just getting there, right? Pose detection to a meaningful way is quite new. Uh, it, it's still, even on our platform, you need to have a phone from the last two years. Um, before that, your phones are just not strong enough to do this. And we, we're looking at different types of options, like sending the video to the cloud, taking the data out from from there, but that would be, may, mean it, that it would take you like two minutes to make a message. So there's this, uh, uh, definitely we are at the front, at the very edge of the technological capabilities. Um, so that's one real problem that we're solving and constantly building pipelines um, to use the latest technology. And then there's just 
people's own biases, right? We keep talking about it. We're just in this concept that a phone is a thing you hold in your hand constantly and it's built that way. Uh, and even now they put in uh, front cameras for your selfie to be able to do more 3D stuff with your face. Um, but it, that that still doesn't have the capability in, in like the new iPhones. Um, so uh, there's a lot of just like biases around our use with technology that I think people just haven't realized can be different. And that's, you know, what we're trying to show them. There are other options. Uh, and if other big companies, you know, we are, we have a patent pending out there for our technology stack, uh, but we are also happy to inspire other companies uh, as long as they're doing things that are healthy for people um, and create a better ecosystem. That's, that's the other inspiration that we're trying to put out there. And I wanted to, of course, get into that because I, I think we've put so much focus on how great mixed reality is that someone listening might not realize where I think this is so relevant to the whole social dilemma, quote unquote, conversation is right now. It seems like a lot of your focus is on what are the solutions for these deeply unethical, whether it's data or unethical in the regard of body dysmorphia and incredibly impressionable ages being shot subliminal messages that might have an underlying very detrimental effect. So uh, I, I'm very curious on specifically, you said that the focus for Mew is going to be on ensuring that there won't be anything that could exasperate any body dysmorphia or really contribute to it. Like I think we're seeing across social media. Um, is this something that you're expecting a lot of social media platforms to start jumping on the bandwagon of? So A, I'll be, you know, let's be a bit more accurate. Uh, there, there's a policy that we are, will attempt to do no harm along with scientific research around this, right? It's impossible to say that you will do no harm, especially with body dysmorphia. People can, anything can trigger them. People have different backgrounds. Uh, you, I, I hate oranges. You'll embody me in an orange by accident. Right, yeah. right. And I'm, I'm making fun of it, but th this really is like people have very different sensitivities. And that's why consent and communication uh, of expectations with a customer and letting them guide their own experience is really important um, and, and how you want um, you to, to be, uh, which you don't get on, on your current social media. It's all algorithms that are going behind the scenes, pushing on data that you're not really sure what it is, and it's all hidden. You can't really know what buckets are they putting you in. Um, uh, what did they identify you as uh, most likely to buy, therefore pushing this info to you um and i'll give you a small example that um a friend who is also a, a, an advisor for us uh, chris beasley uh posted about uh, not long ago she was working at mozilla and there their algorithms would make sure that messages actually got answered so if they were seeing messages that were not getting answered they would push them more 
versus Facebook, that's a winner-take-all type algorithm, right? Whenever they see something trying to grow, starting to get a trending growth, that's what they'll push out there even more to increase that growth and get the snowball effect of more eyeballs, not deeper one-on-one connection. You asked a question, I will now answer you, but instead something that gets as much attention, but this low-level attention that isn't an actual connection. Uh, and that's that we're thinking about a lot uh, on, on Miu and how to create that uh, balance between messenger, one-on-one messenger, to one-to-many, because maybe you are a teacher or a movement person or want to um, connect to your whole family with just one, one game. Um, and there's a balance to that. And it's, it's, we're not sure yet how, how to build this in ways that are um, the most healthy for people. That's part of why, you know, I'm trying to fundraise so I can actually have a full-time person doing academic research, looking at the data and seeing, okay, after receiving an, a one-on-one message, we're calling them snowflake message, messages, right? That That's it. It's not re- repetable. I sent you something you know nobody else will ever receive that. You can't copy it. You can't share it. It's just between me and you. How do you feel after that, right? Versus how do you feel after you, as a follower or as a part of a group, got the same message from me? Is, is there a difference? You know, my anecdotal belief is I would feel very different if I got uh, a, a kiss uh, from my loved one that is just for me or if he sent it out to his, uh, their, their whole network, I'd probably feel very different. Exactly. These are things that we really want to test out, right? Yeah, uh, there being the difference between, hey, this is how I expressed a blowing kiss motion versus here's the button I pressed. Exactly. It's the same emoji oh, yeah. all across. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really, and I actually told people, people that know me know, please do not send me hearts on Facebook. <laughs> this is, I feel cheap. I feel like our love and connection has actually been cheapened by this automatic, very, very automatic interaction that's built into the system. And I, I feel empty and hollow. Maybe it's just me, but I think there's more of, of people that are seeking um, a uniqueness, like an authentic uh, uh, expression of creativity to actually feel connected. Completely. And, and I think really to that uniqueness, um, I, I anticipate what we're going to see in the wake of the social dilemma. And now they're being just a much larger conversation around the ethics behind social media is more of a respect from the consumer of, you know, I'm really going to opt for the company that is going out of their way, maybe even in order to put aside some profits to really make this an experience that is beneficial in both ways. Where to what you mentioned earlier, your average social media user isn't really thinking about how they are the product and they're often being used, they're not the user. So do you think in say the next 10 years, because it does feel with, you know, I guess first Cambridge Analytica uh, and then fast forwarding a little bit, here we are with uh, the social dilemma, that what people are really going to want is I'm going to choose the social media platform that goes out of its way to prove itself to be the most ethical to me as a consumer. I hope so. I hope people um, 
wake up a bit to the knowledge and the potential damages uh, of these things. Uh, one of the first people, especially when it comes to immersive technology, which is so powerful, you are literally letting people influence your brain in very deep ways whenever you go into a VR headset. Um, and uh, so I'm really hoping people wake up to this. I do think that um, the solution that also we are going for is actually having the users be part of the company um, by we're crowdfunding. Currently we're on WeFunder. Um, if anyone's hearing, you can chip in for as little as a hundred dollars to actually be part of this company. Uh, and as we grow, you, you will get the benefits, right? You will have a, a vote into how we navigate the space. And I think that is uh, the way to actually go about this is by making the customers have a real stake in the company. Um, because I think as long as there are, you know, a few uh, uh, very rich, very powerful investors that are holding the whole um, um, decision-making really behind these platforms, how is that ever going to be aligned to a majority of people? Like these, these people themselves don't have uh, access to even knowing what people want and need. Um, and I think that's that's really the best way to go about it is by just aligning incentives of uh, the, this whole thing that we call a company, this, this human construct. Yeah, and, and what I'd wonder on that um, in terms of, yeah, there really being an alignment of it's almost like a business transaction, like you and your social media platform, like, all right, we're under the same terms here. This is how we're going to be operating. Good. You know, fantastic. And, you know, I, I imagine where there's going to be some differences to how this could operate versus how, of course, TikTok or Instagram. And now with YouTube uh, rolling out unique reach metrics, which are all about, hey, listen, we, get, we know these people beyond what their cookies are telling us. We know every little thing about how to target them accurately. So how do you envision uh, sponsorships really existing on a social media platform when that social media platform is operating more ethically in terms of the user data? Yeah, so we have uh, one sponsored content currently, and this is a, a, a thing that we're talking about a lot on how to do this. I think there is definitely a place for sponsored content, but it should be the users go to it and they know this is sponsored content. The sponsored content does not pop up at the beginning of the content that I wanted to watch or in the middle of the content I wanted to watch. The sponsored content doesn't interfere with me getting the hug from my friend or playing with them. Uh, the sponsored content is so engaging that I wanna go to there, right? The sponsored content is aligned to me exploring things uh, that I'm interested in. And if you trust the, the customer, right? And you, the, the, you create things that are uh, interesting enough, they will come just the same way we go to see movies. Everything is, is uh, um, content, right? And if, if, or so much of what we do is consume content. So if you create sponsored content that is engaging enough, uh, customers will come to it and try it out when they want to, right? On their own terms, because, you know, we want to identify with um, our sports teams and some of the brands we use. 
we want to get to know these things better as part of our identity sometimes, but this is all about consent. Um, and when you just shove a commercial in front of my face right before I'm trying to learn something new on, on YouTube, I'm just like, I do not want to buy from this cost, uh, um, company right now, right? Um, so I think there's just a change in communication between companies and customers that um, can happen. And if customers demand this more and say, we want to engage with content the way we want to engage with it, um, don't shove things in front of our faces when we don't want it. I, was, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Netflix started putting advertisements uh, at the beginning of some of their uh, shows, just like one small sort of promo thing. Uh, I think it was like the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon or something. And I was like, whoa, oh, this is dark. Like we are now paying for subscriptions that are still starting to shove commercials into our face. So maybe it was just a trial and hopefully they see this is not working and, and stop. Yeah, you may have been uh, a part of one of those 10,000 people tests yeah. that they uh, they talk about. No, that's interesting. And, you know, it, it's funny because I really feel that is one area where it just it could not be more accurate to what you wrote in the medium piece and i know what you've talked about in the past is you know they've done studies to show how some of the most standard commonplace techniques with commercials and advertising do not work and in often cases have the negative impact um so really allowing it to be more of a conversation not something that's so abrasive um, yeah, I, I really think that's going to go a long way. Are, are you seeing that now on social media with, I know there's some platforms that are really starting to work with brands on making more engaging sponsored content. Have you seen this sort of going there? I mean, I, I, we sort of started, where was this? I think Twitter asked me like, please let us know what your interests are so we can cater advertisement to you. And I was like, no, that's, you're gonna, because again, it's not the, they're not telling, they're not giving me access to when and where. If I had a place on my whole Twitter page where I could be like, you know what? I want to see sponsored content over here that changes twice a week. That's it. That's what I want. Now I will give you my preferences because that's what I'm willing to engage with sponsored content. Why don't they do that? That's not hard, right? It's just like a bit of thinking out of the box and again, giving customers um, the priority and making sure they are the customers, not the advertisers. Completely. Yeah, no, I, I, I could not agree more. And yeah, we'll see. I, I really do think that is a direction I think a lot of advertisers are starting to realize like, you know, the billboard methods don't work as well as they used to. People really do want something that's not going to be in your face. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm also very curious to talk to you about um, one thing you wrote in this article, which I, I really loved because I think it's an area where we haven't seen so much focus. And maybe there is even sort of an unwillingness by people to even broach this subject because it is a little hot button. Um, but you're talking about the divisiveness that does exist on social media. And, you know, there are very credible, well thought out arguments on both sides. Some saying, no, it needs to be a public forum. And others saying, 
well, no, we need to really find a way to regulate the conversation so things are headed in a more fruitful direction. Um, so one thing I saw that you talked about is finding a way to really dissuade uh, those who have maybe objectively harmful beliefs instead of outright just banning them and, you know, kind of doing a Chinese finger trap of just making them feel yeah. even more ensnared in their beliefs. Yeah. So, yeah, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more on that. Um, so I, I've uh, tried to study a lot of, uh, it's called nonviolent communication. Um, it was a, a method of mediation created by a person called Marshall Rosenberg. I highly recommend this for anybody that wants to improve their relationship, their work skills. It's given me the ability to negotiate with police officers and get what I want. Okay, I have I wrote a, a post about that uh, a while ago and some of the guards tried to get me off some tree and I managed to, to talk myself out of that because um, it, it's really just a way, uh, the naming is a bit, uh, especially for someone like me that likes martial arts, I'm like, what am I a hippie now? Um, so it's really just a way to understand what the other person's needs are, right? People that are going on social media and propagating violence, uh, um, hate crimes, uh, rape, like things that you're just like, why would somebody do this? They are hurting. There is absolutely no question in my mind that that their their needs are not being met. Their needs for social safety, their needs for you know economical safety, and this is not an excuse or a right for them to to be doing these things. But if we just want to be pragmatic about this and to get this thing to stop, then maybe just banning them isn't enough. Maybe actually engaging with them um, and trying to understand what's going on there more and figuring out ways to offer them solutions to, to their needs um, is an interesting uh, uh, possibility. So yeah, I had this, this uh, vision of just an AI chatbot, right? That just because there's actually research that shows that people will engage more openly about their psychological issues with chatbots and robots. I don't know if you're you're aware of this, but but the uh, U.S. military is using uh, VR um, therapists uh, for PTSD patients because because of this research because your privacy is more safe. Supposedly, you don't feel you don't feel as judged. Um, you're, it's basically just like you journaling. It's you with yourself, but with some type of um, external uh, engagement that helps you understand yourself better. Um, so I could envision something like this. Instead of you just being banned, um, you get a message in, uh, on your platform like, oh, somebody's unhappy with your messages. What's going on? And you can just try to give people more of a, of an understanding and yeah, just. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm very curious about this because, uh, in this, this is speaking from my own ignorance on this subject, admittedly, but I think what my brain always goes to is, you know, what is the sentiment people had for Clippy on Microsoft where they're like, I right, get out of here. Or what is my response when I try to talk on the phone with Comcast and it's just an, it's a computer voice. So I guess, how could you imagine this conversation existing? But especially, how would you imagine that kind of conversation existing with what you're really building out with more mixed reality and uh, I guess empathy-based communications? Yeah, 
Um, this definitely needs to be a, a lot of development and research on, on how exactly to communicate and what words to say. But I think being 100% uh, honest as an AI uh, is is um, helpful, you know. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the things on the voice were still. It's very. Uh, we're not making as much progress on voice identification as I would like. I don't know. I'm. I have an Alexa and a Google, and sometimes they try speaking to each other. It's this. It's hilarious and ridiculous. And the amount of times Siri has done not the thing you want we want her to do or them to do. Um, so, uh, but textual um, chat, uh, textual understanding is uh, uh, in the AI is, is much closer. Uh, there's a sentiment analysis based on text is, uh, is pretty advanced. Uh, and there are texts out there that were written by AIs that you would not know were written by AIs. Uh, that's, that's, that's already happening. Um, so if we could train an AI on this nonviolent communication practice, uh, I think that would be very interesting because uh, nonviolent communication is really based on helping you understand what's going on inside of you. So there's a type of mirroring that happens where I ask you, oh, it seems you're angry. Is that true? Um, and, and then you can say, yeah, I'm angry because this and this or but I just, it's, it's more of like helping the other person engage with their own emotions through a mirror, which I think is, is doable for the, the state of AI that we're in. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, what I love about that is I think it does kind of go back to what we were discussing earlier is, you know, having a platform that is more personalized and understands you and there is more of an ongoing conversation and consent that exists. Um, kind of in the same vein of a heart emoji is just kind of an empty nothing as opposed to something where it's actually illustrated and clearly directed towards you. Um, and, you know, I, I'm wondering as well, before we wrap up, going back to the social dilemma, um, you did say that you had some issues with maybe how they broach certain topics or, or the analysis. Um, and really, you're the person to talk to because you have unique insights into specifically this. So I'm wondering, what is your overall assessment of the social dilemma and the phenomenon and conversation we've seen follow the movie? Yeah, so um, uh, the criticism I had was how they were showing the AIs there, right? They sort of humanized them. They made it very personal. We are following you. And, and that's not how the system works. We're, we're not that important. The numbers are important. Uh, the statistical correlations of batches of people and how they behave is how these AIs actually work in order to predict uh, us, right? Uh, so that was pretty done in a way that was like overly, in some ways, creepy and dark. And then, uh, spoiler alert, I think at the end, the AI, there was some like hopeful thing at the end with the... Uh, the AI started like talking amongst themselves. Uh, so they took it to some uh, uh, realms of uh, uh, sci-fi. Um, so that, that was sort of the criticism. Uh, but I, I did like uh, um, a lot of the family dynamics there. I thought was, were interesting. A lot of, you know, showing how the kids uh, uh, get involved in um, 
fake news and all these conspiracy theories. I just, so t- turns out, um, um, a friend of mine just did the research and th- there's a Twitter group that uh, watches the 10 most posted uh, uh, things on Facebook. And it is constantly right-wing conspiracy theories. This is like a constant thing if you look at them. These are the most viewed and engaged with people on Facebook. Um, and that is, again, a misalignment. If, if your whole alignment is about attention, then you, you want the, the propagation of things that people get angry about and are outraged, but just cause more of that to happen again. It's this feedback loop that's created, created right? Um, and that's a thing we need to break out of as ourselves. Like, I need to stop following Donald Trump's tweets, no matter, right? Like, just, just put that aside. Just don't even engage because my attention is the economy. My attention is also my well-being. And that's going to be very, very hard as we continue to go into these immersive worlds um, that we start putting glasses on our heads and really being constantly fed with these new news feeds. Um, and I really hope there's a change and we pivot from the current social media that, that we're seeing. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I really kind of think what you guys are really working towards, it reminds me of how maybe uh, a few decades ago, if you're in New York Times Square, And it's just truly overwhelming. It's like, okay, this is too much. There's all these advertisements. There's uh, all these people. And then you can kind of go into your own house or apartment. And then suddenly it's, oh, wow, here's a real community and environment that I'm in control of. And really, as social media just gets more and more immersive, and I guess we near the point of a metaverse, that's really what people are going to be looking for is, I want to be in an environment where I have control and my say truly matters. Um, Well, awesome. Sarah, again, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss all of this. Uh, I guess before we wrap up here, is there anything else you want to say about Mew or Radix Motion that we did not get to cover? I'm just going to remind people, go to our WeFunder. We still have a month or two of crowdfunding. Uh, Download our app. We're on the App Store uh, on iPhone. We're working on an Android version uh we'll we'll get it out um and uh we're also on all the different vr headsets so miu 3d on the uh, apple iphone store fantastic and i'll say on the website there's great videos showing exactly how it works um and yeah highly recommend for everyone to check out thank you so much for listening to this episode of tube circuit exploring digital media i'm dylan harari (laughs) 